The Cavs have a new head coach. Can he last longer than two years? I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley. This is After the Score. Welcome to After the Score, 89.7's weekly look at sports. This week we'll talk about why Ohio State is sponsoring their athletic director position. Not a building, not a scholarship. They're sponsoring the name of a job. And sticking with the money in athletics theme, Steve and I will talk to a Washington Post reporter about the skyrocketing amount of money in college sports and how more people than just coaches are cashing in. But first, the Cavs are the best team in the Eastern Conference. They still have the best player in the world. But they just fired their head coach. And as we mentioned last week, the Cavs fired David Blatt just one and a half seasons into the job. And they replaced him with longtime assistant Tyron Lue. And if you're an NBA fan, you might know Lue best as the undersized Laker point guard who tried and failed miserably at guarding Allen Iverson in the 2001 NBA Finals. But certainly no shame in that. Zach Meisel from The Plain Dealer and from Cleveland.com joins us now. Zach, help us get to know Tyron Lue a little better. What got him to this point? Well, he's a longtime NBA veteran who is well-respected by players around the league and clearly well-respected by the players inside the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room. And uh, he's the guy that he wants to push the tempo. Um, he's young. He can relate to the players. He played with many of the guys uh, that he now coaches or coaches against. So uh, he's a guy that, you know, you see it a lot, I think, in baseball more with, with young, inexperienced managers. Uh, and I think we're starting to see it a little bit in basketball, too, where guys are more comfortable around guys they know and guys who have been around the game recently. And so you see these people get hired, even though they may lack the experience that some other guys have. And we've seen this trend sort of pop up where these former players become coaches. There's Jason Kidd and uh, Derek Fisher, both of them in Brooklyn and New York, respectively. Is, is this kind of the trend that the NBA is going toward? Yeah, I think it depends. I think when you have established star players, I mean, you have LeBron James in Cleveland, Carmelo Anthony in New York, sometimes you don't need this big personality to be your head coach because you already have the big personality as your, your go-to player. So in the Cavs case, it's more you don't need someone who's going to shut LeBron down and, and try to make him be a better player. He already is who he is, and, and he's going to run things a lot just because of who he is. So I think it makes sense in some of those situations to have a coach that players are familiar with, they're comfortable with. And again, some of the veterans like Richard Jefferson knows Teron Lou because they played in the league at the same time. So uh, it's, for the Cavs, it, it makes sense. And when you have a guy like LeBron James or you are the Knicks and you have Carmelo Anthony, you're going to try to appease your player and, and bring in a coach that they're comfortable with. Was that familiarness that the Cavs have with Lou? Is that the reason he got a three-year deal? I was a little surprised to see that he got a three-year deal hours after they fired David Blatt. Yeah, how about a guy who had never coached in the NBA before as a head coach, all of a sudden has a long-term extension and is given the keys to coach the Eastern Conference in the All-Star game. That's, that's not a bad gig before you even coach your first NBA game, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's more of just the players know him. He's been around the team as long as David Blatt had, and they like him. I mean, he's, they believe in him, and, and really, it's such a player-driven league that, you know, if, if the players all want something, if you're a general manager, you kind of have to give in and, and, and do what they want as long as everyone's on the same page and it's going to work out. I mean, David Blatt was 
never coaching in the NBA, and he got a, a good deal from the Cavs when he was first hired. How is this deal different for Lou than it was for Blatt? Well, the one difference is the players had no familiarity with David Blatt. He was really brought in. I mean, he was brought in before LeBron James announced he was returning to Cleveland. And so the idea was Blatt was going to be a coach of, of Andrew Wiggins and Kyrie Irving and this, this young team and try to help them grow. And he's got a lot of experience overseas. He's been very successful overseas. So the idea was, hey, we'll bring in this guy who is at least established somewhere and hopefully our players will respect him and grow to like him and, and play well under him. The difference here is that Ron Lou, it's the opposite. No experience, but the players already knew him. They like what he brings to the table, uh, and they have a good rapport. So, uh, you know, maybe Blatt was kind of at a disadvantage from the get-go just because Teron Lou had – I mean, first of all, he was the highest-paid assistant, so that tells you something right there. Players liked him. He was a good fit. Um but you could tell from the get-go that uh, the players liked Teron Liu and David Blatt was, was really at a disadvantage. And it was going to be tough for him uh, to stick around long-term just because I think the players were already conditioned to prefer Teron Liu over David Blatt. I've seen some very well-known NBA reporters say LeBron James was not consulted before David Blatt was fired. And I have no inside sources. I'm not involved in the Cleveland locker room at all. But I just find that really, really hard to believe that they didn't approach LeBron before that and say, hey, this is what we're going to do. What do you think? Well, I think the way LeBron can kind of hedge his bets here and come off as innocent in all this is just by, and it's, it's the narrative that they've pushed, the Cavs have pushed, Maybe LeBron wasn't aware that day, but you can bet that David Griffin didn't go into this blind and just fire a head coach of, of an Eastern Conference leading team uh, at this point in the season. I mean, it, certainly he had input from players maybe in previous days, weeks, months. Because um, Griffin even said himself that he first thought of this back after the Cavs lost to the Warriors on Christmas and then the next day dropped in at Laden Egg in Portland and lost by 30 points. He was thinking about it then. So you clearly had to have some kind of an inkling, some kind of input from his players. And, you know, he even said just going into the locker room after wins and seeing a team that didn't really, they weren't proud of themselves for winning. They, they weren't excited about anything. I mean, that's, whether that's giving input to the GM directly or not, it's still casting this idea that, you know, people are unhappy. And the one common denominator seemed to be David Blatt. And David Blatt was fired last Friday around 4 o'clock. That's when news broke. So we didn't get to fully cover it on the show last week because our show aired just hours after that. But we, we went through it briefly. Talk about why David Blatt was fired. He was He's, he's, he's leading this Eastern Conference championship-looking team uh, to the playoffs again. And a lot of stuff came out over the weekend after this happened, why he was fired. Give us some details into the reason David Blatt is no longer head coach. I think first and foremost, it was just, it was never a good match. Uh, I don't think he ever had the rapport with his players that you want from an NBA coach. And I think part of it is you have a guy who's never coached in the NBA before and you have the best player on the planet. And what, why should LeBron respect him and listen to him and, and everything else? So, you know, Blatt was kind of walking on thin ice the whole time because he wasn't sure if. He should criticize LeBron publicly. Should he say something to him behind closed doors if he makes a mistake or if he wants him to lead in a different way? I mean, it was it was always a little uncomfortable, but the bottom line was the Cavs were so talented that 
they went to the finals and they pushed the Warriors to game six without two of their best players and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. So, you know, everything was good because they were successful. So you certainly couldn't fire David Blatt last year after what the Cavs accomplished, especially given what they hadn't accomplished the previous four years. So they were kind of in a tough spot. And I, and I really think David Blatt, first of all, I was almost kind of wondering if they were going to do that when they started 19 and 20 last year, kind of would have been easy, but then you beg the question, what did you expect? Did you expect this team to, to win a championship in its first year? LeBron made it seem like he didn't. Uh, and it's, you know, it was pretty widespread knowledge that Teron Lue was going to be the guy eventually. That's why Dan Gilbert made him the highest paid assistant in NBA history. And it really seemed like Blatt never messed with his players. Uh, you could see even on the court, you know, there were questions about whether this team was reaching its potential, even though it has a sparkling record. Uh, there were just some nights they were disjointed. They weren't playing consistently. Uh, so, and they, they couldn't really fit Kevin Love into the offense. There are a lot of questions that we had the same questions a year ago, and it seemed like nothing was solved. So I think finally David Griffin just reached a point where he said, you know what, we have to make a change. We need a better atmosphere in here. We need more consistent play. We need some idea of what it's going to take to compete with the Warriors, to compete with the Spurs. And I think everything just boiled over, and Griffin made the decision last Friday. We've talked a lot about how Tyron Lue seems to be a good fit with the Cavs. On the court, what what does that mean for viewers? What does that mean for fans? Uh, presumably, we'll see more of the offense go through LeBron. Uh, Tyron Lewis hinted at that, hinted that. What else changes? What other changes could we see on the court? Well, the one question is, how does Kevin Love fit? And there have been trade rumors. There have been questions about, you know, is he just a spot up shooter now? Why isn't he the guy he was in Minnesota, who seemingly every night was pulling down fifteen rebounds, scoring twenty five points? I think, and we've already seen it, they're going to get Kevin Love more involved. They're going to go to this up-tempo pace. You saw it against Phoenix on Wednesday night. They really pushed the tempo in the second half, got out and ran. Uh, it's all about fast break points. And they have the personnel to do that. I mean, Kyrie Irving seems to be a guy who you'd want in a, in a quick, with a quicker pace. Uh, we've already heard the comments that Teron Lu said, the team is not prepared, uh, at least physically, to, to play that up-tempo pace yet, but They'll get there. I, I do think the Cavs are probably better with a small lineup, but once you get to the postseason, it, it's a different animal because they're, we saw all the matchups last year against the Warriors in the finals. Timofey Mozgov being a big part of the offense. Timofey Mozgov not even playing in certain games. Uh, if you look at the Spurs, they've got some size. So I think the thing for the Cavs is just they have to be able to adapt. And we've seen them be successful with, with a slow-paced offense and just hunkering down on defense in the past, and now it's a question of can they hang with Golden State if, if they play this run-and-gun style? Can they hang with San Antonio and adapt if you want to get guys like Mozgov and Tristan Thompson more involved and play slower? So I think Teron Lue kind of wants to play around with all of it, see what he's got, um, but you are going to see more up-tempo. You're going to see probably higher-scoring games, and I think first and foremost you're going to see a lot of Kevin Love. Is Tyron Lue the guy for the Cavs? He's the new head coach. They're looking to unseat the Warriors as champions. They're looking to make it back to the finals this year and hopefully take home the trophy. Can they get Kevin Love involved in the offense? These are all things that Cavs fans will be looking forward in the future. We've been talking about the Cleveland Cavs and their new head coach, Tyron Lue, with Zach Meisel of the Cleveland Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com. Zach, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, guys. Thank you.
So we all know Gene Smith. He's the athletic director at Ohio State. Well, not technically anymore. Now he's technically the Wolf Foundation Endowed Athletic Director at Ohio State. That's quite a mouthful, but that is the name of his new job. No one will ever call him that, but that is what he technically is now. And it's important to note that after Gene Smith leaves this position, the position will then be called the Wolf Foundation Eugene Smith Endowed Athletics Director. Somehow that title just got worse. I don't know how. But that's after the Wolf Foundation, named for former dispatch owner John Wolf, donated $5 million to the OSU Athletic Department. Here for more is Tom Knox. He broke the story for Columbus Business First earlier this week. Tom, your piece earlier this week said neither OSU nor John Wolf had replied to requests for comment. Have you heard from them since? I heard back from Ohio State, but it was perfunctory. Um, it wasn't anything to it, just kind of this is this is what we do. And, you know, No real explanation or anything like that? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they get donations like this all the time, so... I don't think they. I don't think they really thought it was as newsworthy as perhaps mm-hmm. I or others did. That's if, pretty. That's pretty telling, actually, right? That they don't. That the the state of current college athletics, if you will, that this is not a big deal to them. Right, and I think as I wrote, you know, this this has been going on elsewhere. It's kind of unique. You would not think that Ohio State um, hasn't done this before. So, the fact that it was the former dispatch owner adds to it. But mm-hmm. yeah, Ohio State, I I think just thinks well. You know, we're doing this. It's it's been done elsewhere. It's nothing new. It's very weird to me. It's not, nothing new to name a building after someone or a mm-hmm. wing or a hospital. I mean, Ohio State is full of family names, leading from the Wexners down to past presidents. Names are everywhere. It seems weird that a pos- actual job title can be linked to a name. And you said there is precedent. It's been well, happening elsewhere. Well, in sports, it's it's fairly new, but this happens all the time in academics. I mean, you, there's X. Professors, professorship across con- universities across the country, including at Ohio State. So you, this is normal in academics, um, but it's just not as high profile, obviously, because no one really cares if you're the you know entomologist at Ohio State. Um, so it's been happening in academics for a long time, but in athletics, it's definitely newer. The word shame seems kind of loaded, but it's, it's it's the best word I can think of. Is there any any shame or maybe even any self awareness that? Um, a position in charge of student athletes. This position is being renamed for a five million dollar donation. Is there any? Is there any self awareness there? You think? Um, I don't know, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think for them, I think there's two ways people kind of look at this. One is shame, continued corporatization. Um, that's a big thing that people criticize Ohio State and other big schools for. And then the other way they could look at it is, well, no one's really going to call this position by that name, the Wolf Foundation right. Athletic Director. You know, officially Ohio State will. The media, the people who write about it's like Gene the, Smith. Yeah, it's like the Chicago Bears presented by Bank One. It's right. no one ever, ever said So that. that's sort of the um, more pragmatic way, probably how they're looking at it. You know, we'll have to say this is how, you know, this is the title. But media and the, the, the stuff that people usually read about Gene Smith won't write about this or won't won't use the full title. So I don't think from their perspective, I'm guessing that's how they see it. But also $5 million is $5 million. That's, you know, Ohio State gets a lot of donations, but that's still a good chunk for them. Mm-hmm. Has this happened at any other athletic positions across the country, like a, a head coaching position or a an assistant coach or a trainer or anything? I don't know about the level of trainer, but Michigan has their head coach named, um, which they got $10, $10 million for. Um, so you, I think we mentioned this in my story, you would think Ohio State, if they do that, which I would imagine they're probably getting offers now, 
um, now that they know that this is a possibility. Yeah, the precedent's out there. Right. And um, they'll probably want to do more than $10 million because Ohio State always wants to, to be number one. Sure. So, so, yeah, another chance to beat Michigan. Yeah, another ch- chance to beat Michigan. Michigan has an, their office of coordinator is also has a uh, position named for him. So, yeah, Ohio State's still behind a lot of their peers, and this is something that was done especially in Ivy League schools. So now you're seeing a lot of the bigger schools, the big football schools. So this goes this. this goes back to what you said just a minute ago that no one's ever going to call Gene Smith's position the Wolf Family Athletic Director. I've never heard of Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of Michigan, having right. another name to his title. Is That's been around long enough, and it hasn't— yeah, taken notice even in Columbus. That almost makes it a little more insidious that they're taking this money <laughs> and then not it, the public doesn't really know. Well, I mean, Ohio State can say, "Listen, we we say in the media guide or we say on the scoreboard, you know, we can't make right the media, we can't make radio or newspapers." Try as Call they will. Yeah. And like you say, the president Try as they will. The, president, yeah, the they president's will. out there, and they're, they're not alone and, in doing and, this. And schools do sometimes. Anytime there's a naming. Like when Wexner was the named Wexner the medical, medical center, center. you they, guys might have dealt with this too. I mean, huge press releases where every yes. time we were talked about the medical center, they insisted it was the Wexner right. Medical Center at Ohio State. Yeah, generally in the media, we we try to do um, we'll call it what the public calls it. So there was a, right. especially with na- Nationwide Children's Hospital, there was a tipping point when we started calling it Nationwide right. because that's what people started calling it. Um, this five million dollar donation also puts the the Wolves in a pretty exclusive society, right? Yeah, it's called Pay Forward Society, and it's the other huge names in Columbus. Um, Schottenstein's uh, in, in it, yeah, and uh, I think Wexner is in it, obviously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean— People who've made single donations of, of $5 million Yeah, or at larger. least $5 million. So the Wolves, um, they have donated to Ohio State before. I don't know if it's been this big, um, but now that they don't own the dispatch, perhaps they felt like they could. Uh, this would be a good way, and obviously— the Wolves have a high opinion of Gene Smith because once he retires or leaves, then the position becomes named after Gene Smith. So, um, yeah, obviously the Wolves have a good opinion of uh, of Gene Smith too. The, the pay it the pay it forward society obviously has some background in sports as well. It's it's after a phrase coined by I think Coach Woody Hayes. That's right. Yeah, the, he, that is uh, his graduation. Motto. His yeah. graduation. His motto was to pay it forward, meaning to give. I don't know. Pay it forward. Yeah. It's pretty self-explanatory. It is. Tom Knox is a reporter for Columbus Business First. We've been talking about the new sponsorship of the Ohio State Athletic Director position that came after a $5 million donation from the Wolf Foundation. Tom Knox, thanks again. Thank you. The highest paid public employees in many states have been football and men's basketball coaches at state universities. But as big-time college sports revenues have nearly doubled over the past decade, coaches are far from the only ones cashing in. Those are the words of Washington Post reporter Will Hobson, who recently wrote a piece about the ballooning salaries of many university administrators. Will Hobson joins us now. Thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me. So this can, this can really be summarized by one line in your story. Quote, this... Uh, in a decade, the non-coaching payrolls at the schools combined rose from $454 million to $767 million, a 69% jump. What's driving this trend, this increase in administrator salaries? Uh, I mean, it's, it's the amazing recession-proof industry that is college sports. Uh, you have big-time programs across the country like Ohio State that uh, every year are going to see their, their income go up 10 15%. Because uh, television contracts are going up, and and fans will will pay more for for tickets, and and boosters will donate more. Uh, they don't need to return a profit or a dividend. They have all this extra money; it's got to go somewhere. 
so they've, they've in the last decade, they've uh, added a lot of front office staffers, folks like chief marketing officers and chief operating officers, and the teams have added uh, massive support staffs to help them recruit and game plan and train uh, dietitians. Anything, anything you can think of, uh, they've they've come up with a job for it. And this is all market-driven, right? I mean, this is not because schools just want these big athletic departments. It's because they're so lucrative. Yeah, I mean, it's market. It's it's, it's competition-driven. Um, a lot of folks will talk, point to Nick Saban in Alabama as one of the first ones to do it on the support staff side. Uh, Saban was one of the first to, uh, with his football team, decide, you know, we need to model our team after, after a pro team in terms of the number of staffers we have helping us break down film. Uh, helping us uh, recruit. I mean, their recruiting operation uh, is uh, is very well staffed. And and you know, we, for this story, we interviewed Bobby Bowden, who obviously coached at Florida State for for decades. And Bobby uh, told a funny story. He's a, an Alabama alum, and every year he gets a Christmas card from Alabama football that's got the team picture there. And this year he looked at it and he was like, you know, there, there must have been sixty guys standing next to the team, and for the life of me, I can't figure out what all these guys do. I mean, you mentioned the support staff. We we know just across the street here from the studios is the Woody Hayes Athletic Facility, and year after year, it seems like that support staff is growing. Just at Ohio State, in 2004, Ohio State football paid nearly $724,000 for support staff. In 2014, that number rose by 263% to $2.6 million just for those guys that cut film, that evaluate players, that, that assist the, the main coaching staff. That, that, that number is astronomically high. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, what I found most, uh, the most startling, the most interesting, it isn't how high the number is, but how, how much it jumped and how much it jumped across the country. Uh, I mean, you have uh, an example at Clemson, uh, you know, the team who played for the national championship, uh, they have a, a job there, assistant athletic administrator for football operations. Basically, is, is, he's Dabo Swinney's chief of staff. He um, he helps you know arrange Dabo's day and, and appears when Dabo's not available at, at school functions. The guy makes 250 grand, which which adjusted for inflation is more than athletic directors were making at, at big schools a decade ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in the wrong business, Will. Um, and, exactly. And you, and you point out exactly. that all, you point out that all of this is happening against the backdrop of unpaid labor. I mean, college athletes do receive a scholarship and they do receive a stipend, but that's that's really pennies compared to, to coaches and administrator salaries. The athletes who are really creating this market or fueling it anyway are, are largely unpaid. Right. And that's what, you know, the, the critics of amateurism will say when we bring in these numbers is, is you know, the money's got to go somewhere. Uh, these are, are nonprofit entities. The schools are not requiring them to return a dividend. Uh, and they're, every dollar they make, they're allowed to spend. And the the price that they pay for their athletes is controlled. It's it's set. It you know tuition goes up, but it's not going up as exorbitantly as income's going up. So they're going to spend it on on new staffers. They're going to spend it on new facilities. We did a story on on spiraling facilities expenses. And they're going to you know, obviously everyone knows how much coaches make and how much they make in, in severance pay when when they get fired and the school is uh, searching for for the next coach. We hear a lot of people complain about this. I mean, we're doing a radio segment on it right now, but. Is there any real push to reverse this trend, this, this skyrocketing of salary? As long as there's a ton of money in college sports, I imagine that it's continuing. Well, I mean, there's a legal push. You have two significant federal lawsuits right now seeking to upend the financial structure of college sports. Uh, you have the O'Bannon case, in, in which players are seeking trust funds 
uh, a cut of the, the licensing revenue that schools make. And then you have uh, the Jenkins case. Uh, the lawyer there is Jeff Kessler of Deflategate fame, and he's seeking an open market for, for college sports. He is seeking uh, a market in which Ohio State, if it wanted to, could offer uh, the next big quarterback recruit twenty grand if it wanted to. And and those are that that's the backdrop that that, that this is unfolding against. And, and I think what our stories show is that it for for schools the top tier college sports in those power five conferences, it's getting harder and harder for them to claim with the trade base, but they couldn't they couldn't afford to pay uh, top tier football players if they um, if that were allowed. It, it's it's a matter of choice. They don't want to. And, and that's that's kind of cases that, that those will play out in, in those two federal lawsuits uh, over the next few years. So right now all those millions of dollars that are going to support staff and to administration if the open market exists, potentially that would go to players and less would be available for these high-paying administrative jobs. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think if, if you saw a real uh, open market, uh, you'd see, uh, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere and it'd have to come out of the paychecks for, for athletic directors and, and the folks they've hired to help them do their jobs. College athletic budgets continue to grow, and coaches are not the only ones cashing in. So are administrators. We've been talking about that with Washington Post reporter Will Hobson, who recently wrote a piece about a skyrocketing athletic department spending. Thanks again for your time. No problem. Thanks, Dad. Time now for our look ahead at the weekend in sports. The Blue Jackets, they are not playing this weekend. They're off until Tuesday when they play at Edmonton. And the Ohio State men's basketball team is fresh off a win over Illinois. But things, however, get a lot tougher when they're hosting the 8th-ranked Maryland Terrapins on Sunday. The women's team still having a much better season Mm -hmm. than the men. The women off until Monday when they play at Illinois. The Cavs and new head coach Tyron Liu play in Detroit against the Pistons on Friday night, and they host the San Antonio Spurs in Cleveland on Saturday. And if you're a huge football junkie, the Senior Bowl, which is essentially a talent show for graduating college football players hoping to impress pro scouts, is Saturday in Mobile, Alabama. Lots of Buckeyes playing there, including former OSU quarterback and wide receiver Braxton Miller. He reportedly looks so good, Thomas, that he could go in the first round. That's what some insiders are tweeting out and putting out. Would you take the over or under on him going in the top 50? I think he could definitely go in the top 50. The hype is there. The hype is real. He's talking about running a sub 4.340 yard dash at the combine, Smoke which show. is just unreal speed. But we've we've seen that Braxton Miller is an incredible athlete. I think he does go in the top 50. I think it only takes one team to fall in love. And I think if he breaks a 4.3, especially one team will absolutely fall in love. And yeah, I think he goes in the top 50. And that will do it for this week's edition of After the Score. You can find an archive of episodes using the WOSU Public Media mobile app and also on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and give us a shout-out at After the Score. Until next week, I'm Thomas Bradley. And I'm Steve Brown.